Man, I'm glad I'm back. Amen. Back once again. More often and longer than your pastor's been alive. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> I'm going to find a way to hold that over you somehow. I don't know, but that's, but that's the truth of it. I first came to this nation, actually. The very first time I came to Canada to minister was in 1980. And, uh, and I've been coming, I believe, every single year since. If that's... I know I've been coming to Canada a lot. Praise God. So apparently I haven't screwed it up, so I'm still being invited back. That's, that's always a good thought. <laughs> Is that confidence that I'm going to do all right this time too? Praise the Lord. Man, I'm in a good mood. I know you don't care, but it feels good to feel good. We are believers around here. That's why you show up on a Friday night. You Friday night Christian you. Praise God. It is Friday, is it not? Yes, all right. Praise God. So I know where I am. And, uh, and you know, I, I know I bring this up possibly every time I come, but you come to find out in walking with God, you find out that not only is God a good God, the devil's a bad devil. You find out that that it's all about discovery. The life of the, be the believer is about discovering things. And we're going to talk about some things that you have and could have discovered already. But I believe there's some big things going to happen for people in these next three services. And, uh, and I'm glad you're here for it. Come to find out that not only is God a good God, devil a bad devil, you come to find out God's on your side, that he's committed to your success. And that while he solicits your worship and your praise, just like we've been doing here tonight, he also comes, as pastors already pointed out, not just to receive. The Bible's clear about this. Jesus was clear when he said, God so loved that he what? He, he gave. And his love continues to do exactly that all the time. He is always about giving. Anytime he shows up, he shows up to give. He's not a taker. He is a giver. He receives our worship, no question about it. But he doesn't come just to receive. He comes primarily to give. And uh, so, I mean, that is just an amazing dynamic that we come to give him our worship and praise, but we also come to receive. Have you come to receive tonight? See, it makes a big difference how you have approached God and even how you approach a time like this makes a huge difference. It's not just that we're putting in time. Some of you maybe grew up going to church and just put in time to go to church. In fact, for some, it even felt like you were doing time. <laughs> Depending on what church you went to, which I don't know. I wasn't a great church kid as growing up. We did go to church from time to time. Not a, not a great deal, but... Uh, Prayer wasn't a part of our household, really, except prayer over food. Uh, we would pray over the meals. And, and, uh, but the shocking thing was that the ones that were to do the praying were the kids. The ones who know the least about anything are the ones that we solicit and that my parents would solicit to have prayer. The only ones that prayed over the food was my sister and me. And I knew less than she did, and she knew nothing. She's my older sister. I just talk like that about her. 
But now as a believer, we're not just putting in time. We don't come just to get it over with. We come with an expectation. Is that true for you? That's true for me. You come with an expectation that God is going to do in you the kind of thing that you don't even maybe know you need yet. Glory to God. So I want to jump right into some things. This is how it goes for me. You know, uh, you find over a period of time in ministry, and, and as we've already had pointed out, I've been coming here a long time, so I've been in ministry a good while. And over that period of time, you come to discover there's certain patterns of the way God uses you, certain things that that's the way it goes in the way God uses you. He uses different people a lot of different ways. But I found that if I'll jump right into the Word as quick as possible, then things begin to happen. Praise God. I found the greatest miracles I've ever seen through my own ministry happened during the ministry of the Word. Not only in prayer, not only laying hands on people, we believe in all these things, but right during the time when the Word is being ministered is when some of the greatest miracles that have ever happened actually do happen. Not just in my ministry, but anywhere that while God is being heard, while his word is being received, and while the anointing is flowing freely, you know, the same anointing that brings light and insight to the word is the same exact anointing that heals your body, that delivers your soul, that reveals direction for your life. It's the same anointing, just like electricity is the same electricity. It heats one, one device up, it cools another one down. It's the same power. And it's that same presence of God that meets any need that you have. So I'm expecting that in the next few minutes. But uh, we're going to jump right into some things today. I've traveled a long way, and I know some of you have too. I've, I venture to say I've traveled further uh, today in order to have this time together. And so uh, let's make the most of it. Amen? Amen? You brought your Bible tonight? Yes, sir. Want you to open it to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. I've had the Lord direct me into some things. He's had me focus on these things uh, over the last number of weeks and months. But he gave me that release to go down this road tonight. Man, I'm excited about this weekend. Yeah, Goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate Pastor Tia. She's excited. It's coming out her fingers. It's coming out my... <laughs> yeah, glory to God. Yes. How many of you is coming out your fingers too? Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, that was 10 or 12 fingers. But... Uh, Matthew chapter number 16, it really, what we're going to read here is really one of the most crucial moments, actually, in the life of the ministry of Jesus to his disciples. This that we'll read is about to, it's, it's about to reveal something to us, but it was just prior to Jesus actually going into the, the deepest and darkest times as he would be accused and arrested and tortured and murdered. And just prior to that, he had some things that these disciples needed to grasp. And so this is a real important moment. And one of the most significant things that happened in the ministry of Jesus happened in this event, in this time frame. So I want you to hear this. Matthew 16, I'll jump in in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now look, before we talk, 
even about these details, there's a couple of things I do want to point out along the way. And this to me, this little diversion, but it's just an interesting response that these disciples have had because it gives us a window into the condition of Israel and how dark it really was at this stage when Jesus had come. Israel, you realize they hadn't had a prophet in Israel for 400 years until John came. And during that time, a great deal had happened, but a lot of darkness had come into Israel. I mean, when you realize that the holiest person in all of Israel's society, the high priest, when he sees Jesus, he doesn't recognize that he's in the presence of God himself. He has no clue. In fact, to him, Jesus was an enemy. That's how deep the hole was that Israel was in. And this statement of what the disciples said, people believed about Jesus. Now, the disciples didn't believe this. But this is what people were saying. That Jesus was the reincarnation of one of the old prophets, Jeremiah, maybe Elijah. They had come to believe in reincarnation. That's crazy. The Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. You know that, right? It doesn't teach reincarnation, which is great news. You're not going to come back as a cow or a bug, which in itself is a great reason to give your life to Jesus. But they'd come to embrace reincarnation. They had come to embrace spiritism, and the concept was that maybe he was now channeling the spirit of the recently murdered John the Baptist. And that that's why Jesus was so powerful and effective and had the following that he did. That's what people were saying. But it doesn't really matter what other people are saying. It doesn't matter today what people are saying about Jesus. You know, what they're saying today is what they've said all your lifetime and mine. Some say he was a good man. Some say he was a figment of people's imagination. Some people say he was a fine teacher, a prophet, one of many, someone that God provided for his generation, but now there's someone else, one of many various paths to get to God. People are saying the same kind of nonsense they've been saying for generations. But Jesus laid it out clear. You know it, I know it. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There's just one way to the Father, he said, and that's by me. That was for then, that's for now. He's it. Glory to God. Aren't you glad you found him and he found you? Man, that's worth showing up just to agree with that. Praise the Lord. Who do men say that I am? But then the second question. You know, questions are very powerful if they're the right questions. Now, you can't get the right answers asking the wrong questions. And you never will. So the questions you ask are important. But Jesus asked this question of those disciples, the second question in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Let me just take another little diversion for a moment on that question. This is not the message tonight, not where we're going, but it'd be good if it was. (laughs) Jesus is to you only who you declare him to be. And he works in your life only to the degree of how you've chosen to receive him. You know, that surprises people a lot of times. 
And yet the fact is that the greatest power in the universe, the power of resurrection, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that raised you out of death and into life, that resurrection power has no power in a person's life until they make the choice and declare Jesus as the Lord of their life. It's not until that instant that this great power of God comes alive in them and has any impact at all. And for all of our Christian life, what we discover and keep discovering is he is who he says he is, but he is in us who we say he is. Who is he to you? That's the deciding and determining factor of the kinds of things that you end up experiencing in your life. When you declare him as Lord to be Savior of your life, heaven's your home. But it's really not until you receive him as your healer that healing becomes a reality to you. It's not until you receive him as a baptizer in the Holy Spirit that you have that experience of that fullness of the Holy Spirit the way Jesus demonstrated it in his own life. It's not until you declare him to be who he said he is, he is your righteousness, but it's not until you declare him to be your righteousness that, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ that it even comes alive in you. We've got Christians that live a life of condemnation and fear and distance from God because they feel that all their sins still count and still hold them back. That's not what Jesus says. And it's not until we declare him to be who he has declared himself to be that those truths come alive in us. Who do you say that I am? That's what he asked his disciples. But then here's the deal, man. Peter says something that had never been said before on the heels of that question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, oh, we all love Peter. You got to love Peter. He gives us all hope. (laughs) I mean, if he... He thinks that he blurts it out and it just happens. And Who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Glory to God. That's the message, isn't it? Peter received an insight and a revelation from the Father. And that's exactly what Jesus went on to say. This is so powerful. Because once Peter said that, in verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Glory to God. What had he received? He had received revelation from the heavenly Father. Don't you think he was excited to know that Jesus acknowledged that right there in front of all the other guys? I don't know, something about that just, I think he would have been really happy. Not only about what he had just received, I don't know, is this too carnal? I think he might have been extremely excited that the the rest of them, John and Bartholomew and Thomas and the rest of the guys, they all heard what Jesus, did you hear what Jesus just said? Did you hear that? That I received revelation from the Father. Praise God. (laughs) Okay, well, I just enjoy that, so. 
But I really want us to park on these next verses because this is really the, the heart of what the Holy Spirit has been speaking so strong to me and that I've come to talk to you about. Because in verse 18, he said, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. On this rock, obviously we know the, Peter was not the rock Jesus was talking about. Uh, Peter, the rock, <laughs> you know, wow. You know, I mean, his name means rock, but the small rock. He used a different word when he said, on this rock. It wasn't the rock of Peter, and I realize some people have taken it that way, and which is why we have St. Peter's cathedrals all over the world, and, and they're magnificent. I've been in several. I was in the one in London. It's magnificent, St. Peter's. I've been in the one in Dublin. It's also wonderful. Dublin, Ireland, the homeland. Well, I would like to talk to all of you about it, I finally, <laughs> because I've finally been. But even though St. Peter has cathedrals all over the world now, that's not the rock Jesus is talking about. So here's, here's what I want you to catch. He's talking about what? The rock of the revelation that Peter had just received which was that Jesus is the Christ, yeah. mm -hmm. the Greek word for Messiah, right. the anointed one, the one that God's presence and God's anointing is on, the one, the very one that all of these people in Israel had been hearing about all of their life, the one who would come. Jesus, you are it. And on this rock of revelation that Jesus is the anointed one, Jesus said, on that revelation, I will build my church. I'm going to talk to you about this. Because Jesus, we know this, we know that not only is he Savior, he is Christ. Those are not synonymous terms. He is our Savior. There's only one Savior. He is also Christ. The anointed one. He was the one human being on the planet. Just one. He was the one body that housed all of the anointing of God that was on this planet. Shoo! That is so powerful. No wonder when he spoke, things happened. It's no wonder that when he announced that someone would be healed, they're healed. Or the winds would change. Conditions were different. He came into the place and things were changed. The presence of God was in the building to heal. They all knew it. They saw it. They felt it. They wouldn't know how to describe it, but they knew something was different when they were in the room with this man, Jesus, and now Peter has put words to it. You are the Christ, the anointed one. And it's on that revelation, Jesus said, I will build. But now, while Peter was receiving the most amazing revelation about Jesus, here's what I want you to realize. The Apostle Paul, many years later, also received revelation about this very same thing, only it had expanded. Here's what I mean. Paul 
began to help us understand that the anointing of Christ was now no longer only on one body, Jesus, but now that same anointing of Christ was on many. It began in the upper room with 120, spilled out into the streets where the early church grew quickly to 3,000. They began to be called at some stage there in the early days of the book of Acts in the early church, they began to be called Christians, Christ ones. Now, while we use this terminology really loose and it doesn't have all the same impact that it, er it had in the early days, it's just as real right now. The revelation that Jesus said he would build the church on, not churches, the church. I'm going to talk to you about that also here shortly. Well, we got a lot to talk about. But it is this revelation of the body of Christ. We use that term and we've considered ourselves, how many of you would consider yourself here on Friday night sitting here in church, part of the body of Christ? Yes. You know, we're so familiar with that and it's exactly accurate. We are... Part of the body of Christ. The body of what? Christ. What? The same, the same thing that Peter received revelation about Jesus, that he was, I'm just going to use that term, that he was the one and only body of Christ. And he was at that point in time. There was just one. But the body of Christ began to grow. With the birth of the church came the expansion of the, let me say it this way, just for the effect, came the expansion of Christ. <laughs> All right, now don't get weird on me. There's only one Savior. Jesus is the only Savior. God's not raising up lots of Saviors. Now, some people have had the misconception that they carried a certain element of being Savior also. And this is why they feel so obligated and so guilty over things that aren't going right because it's all their fault and they're not saving as they should. And family is being dis disrupted because they have not adequately saved their family. And people carry guilt and sense of responsibility over things that is really not their responsibility. You will never be Savior. Let's say this together. I am not the Savior. I am not the Savior. <laughs> now, you didn't dress up come church just for that revelation. I know that. I think you already had that. But what Jesus said, what Paul helped us and continues to help us understand, is that the church is built on that revelation expanding in every single believer that the Christ, the anointing, dwells in me. This is what builds the church. That's what Jesus said. Now, look, I understand. I've been in this a long time, as we've pointed out already and will continue to point out throughout this weekend. 
And I go into churches a great deal. I mean, that is uh, the vast majority. I go into and do other things, but the vast majority of what I do, I go into churches and do just what I do here. All sizes, all different sizes, big, little, small, little groups, big groups. It's great. But uh, this is what I do. I go into churches. And, and one of the key things that just about every church I've ever gone to really wants is to get some new keys for church growth. Man, there are seminars, there are conferences, there are experts, there are analysts, there are a variety of places for input on how to have church growth. And I'm for all of it. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm for all of it. I'm happy for churches that are growing. I want them to grow. They want to go to a conference to get some ideas to help it. That's great, praise God. But when it comes down to the way Jesus said the church is built, it comes down to this statement. The church is built on this revelation. That not only, now, all right, so follow me all the way through on this. That not only is Jesus the Christ and Savior, but he has deposited inside of every believer the anointing so that they each can participate in the same kind of flow of the Holy Spirit that was operating in Jesus himself. Every believer. And the clearer that gets, the stronger it becomes, the more a person participates and grows up in that kind of life, the more built up they get. The more solid they become, the less, the less wavering they will be. The, they won't be tossed back and forth by things like they maybe have been in the past, but now they've begun to grab hold of real revelation, revelation knowledge. And it has so, it has so founded them and rooted and grounded them that they can grow and they can become the powerful kind of believer God's designed for every one of us to be. You've seen it, and so have I. People that just shoot up in the things of God, and they just grow in God, and they become not as needy. Oh, I'm glad you're excited over that word. Uh, you know, oftentimes, and, and I don't mean this to sound harsh, but you're the Friday night church crowd. We can't talk like this on Sunday, but on Friday I'm going to talk like this. <laughs> You got to lighten up a little on Sunday, you know. There's the fringe folks that show up on Sunday. Here's Friday night, this is the hardcore crowd. Or just out, need to get out of the house because you're bored. But uh, I, I choose to believe you're here hungry for the Lord. How many is that true for? All right, praise the Lord. I know that's right. I know you guys enough. God's growing people up. People that are growing up become less needy. You know, I don't mean this to sound disparaging or wrong in any way, but after a period of time, you know, uh, the baby's got to grow out of the diapers. 
as harsh as that sounds, this is reality. You don't feel it's harsh when you want that four-year-old to finally kind of taper off on the diapers, please. <laughs> now, it's fine when they're a little bitty. You don't expect them to change your own diaper. You know, hey, you're three months, man. We've been doing this now for three months. Pick it up. Take care of your own diaper. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's silly. There's a fresh one right there. Oh, my gosh. How, how, how fresh is this? Two and a half weeks. Oh, my gosh. God bless. Ooh, beautiful. In church. Wow. Good start. Every one of us as believers, we've really been given the opportunity to grow in God and be built in the things of God. Oftentimes, we wait for somebody else to help build us up. It's, it's the pastor's job. You know, we pay the pastor so that he studies, he prays, and then we get to show up and, and he blesses us. They bless us as a team. Got some leaders around here, and they bless us. That's why they're here, and then we get to just show up. And that's how a lot of people view their Christian spiritual development. It's all about what somebody else is going to do for them. But the people that show up on Friday night are different. You know, you had, a, you had an opportunity right there to sound really good. That's right, Dennis. We're different. <laughs> you know, maybe you've been called different all your life and don't like that. But uh, God's building a family, a body. And he always has been. This isn't anything new about this. This has been going on a long time. But I believe there's something vital happening right now, and I think that all over the world, frankly, and people that I'm in contact with, there is a sense of shift happening right now. There's an intensifying of things. And we know just by virtue of the way things are going that it's going to happen, and it is happening. But there's an intensity in the body of Christ. And that doesn't mean a more of a sober, somber, depressed concept of being a believer. No, it's just the opposite of that. It's, there's a greater sense of expectation, of joy, of power, and we know that we're in the face of some major issues that are going on worldwide, and yet we're not being moved by these things. We know that we are here to be the voice, to be the hands, to be the ones that carry the presence of God into a place or situation so that we can be the gatekeepers of society. So Jesus said... To Peter, it's upon this rock, the rock of revelation knowledge, that I will build my church. The revelation of the Christ. But Peter, I want you to, I'm going to say it again, Peter had not gotten even that full concept yet because it wasn't really yet happening. The full concept of what the revelation of the Christ was, it was ultimately going to be clear that the revelation of Christ was not that Jesus was alone Christ. He is alone Savior, but the anointing that he has brought, 
the link between heaven and earth. The presence of God working in human beings now was not going to be in just one. It was going to be in thousands upon thousands and now millions upon millions. And each one of us get to decide for ourselves if we are going to be part of that. Are we going to be the kind of believers that are receiving insight, ideas, revelation, understanding, and wisdom from God that we can act on and pray for and see come to pass in our life and through our life? Are we going to be that kind of Christian? Are we going to be what I consider to be a cutting-edge kind of believer, somebody on the front line? The world is, is waiting. All of creation, the Bible says, is waiting for the manifestation or the showing up of the sons of God. Well, church, we have shown up. Praise God. And we're growing into who we are. Let me talk to you about revelation itself and what that can look like. I believe there's two primary categories. There's more than this. But there's two primary things that you and me as believers are discovering and have to discover in the biggest way. I'm a real outline guy. If you were to outline this, it would be one category of revelation of this. Here's the category. It is of who God really is. Real revelation about God himself. That he is love. That he is our righteousness. That he is above all. That he's the only true God. That he is magnificent. That he's great. All of the great things, he's holy, he's right, he's righteous, he's our all in all, he is everything. The the more that you discover who God is, the bigger it all gets in you. I know we all know Jesus, we know Jesus, we, I don't think are going to get more of him, we sing about getting more of him, and I, I like that kind of singing because we're all hungry for more, but it's not... Technically, I mean, when he moved in, he moved in. I mean, you know, when somebody comes to see you, they don't just throw a leg in. They... I don't know where that came from. That was weird. But, uh... <laughs> but they come in, you know. He didn't just come partly and he's in. He's in our life. So we don't, to get more of him, what we're really saying is we want to get this better. We want to, we want to know more about who you really are. We want to get it. We want to understand it. We want to have the concepts that we know in our heart are true, but we want it to float up into the way we think. More of understanding. This is why these kind of times that we're having this week. This is why church services, this is why Bible study, this is why the various kinds of books that you can read, if they're the right ones, can help you discover those kinds of things, just greater things of understanding who God is. God wants to show himself and show himself great and strong. He wants you and me to grasp his love and know that he is so in love with us that it's an unconditional love, it's an everlasting love. It's not based on your performance, it's based on his heart. It's based on his interest in your life. He loves you not because you deserve it. He loves you because he has made you worthy of it. He loves you because he thinks you're the greatest thing that he's ever made. I like that thought. And the more, we, the, the more we grow in these things, the more we grow. The less we can be shaken by the events 
of the day, the less we can be shaken by the strategies that hell throws at us, the less we can be shaken by what the government does or in most cases fails to do. We're not going to be shaken by these things. So that category is, is focusing on who he is. This is why our worship time is so important, in my opinion. You come into a service like this, but it, doesn't, it shouldn't really be just during a service like this. But you come into a service and the worship is so important because we're glorifying God. We're not just singing about him. We're not just singing as if he's not in the room. We're actually singing to him. We're glorifying him for who he is. We are magnifying him. How do you magnify? You ever think about that? How do you magnify God? He's already big. How do you magnify God? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means to me. It means I'm taking a real close look. You get a magnifying glass and things get bigger. Lord, I'm... I'm just making you bigger in me right now. That there is nothing above you in me right now. What I've been dealing with this week or at the house or on the job, that's not bigger than you, not in me. I'm not letting that happen. I'm magnifying you above all of these distractions. Glory to God. So we're not magnifying him in him. He's already, he's already big God. He's big God. But now I'm magnifying him in me. He's big in me. The second category of revelation I want you to really grab hold of and focus on. This is, this is equally as important. It is a revelation of who you are. Now that you're in Christ. It is finding out the intricacies of what Jesus really has done how far it has taken you, who you are now. It is light and enlightening to discover how God sees us in light of what he's done and not in light of what we've done. So many times people live out so much of their Christian life carrying the baggage, the fear, the condemnation and the troubles that they've had and created oftentimes themselves and that they've had for maybe a period of time or maybe all of their life. They're still carrying it. That's not who you are today. I'm not who I was. I am who Christ has made me. I am who I am because of what faith in Jesus has done in me, not because of what I have done in myself. This is why God's so clear about these things, and he's, he, he, makes it, he makes it so crystal. I will remember their sins no more. You know, we tend to remember our sins. If we forget them, there's people close to us that are happy to remind us of them. God's not the one bringing up your sins, the sins of your past. That is why we have family. Family is for that purpose. At least that's what many in the family think. No, it's not really true. It's not their job either, even though they take it very seriously. <laughs> no, God said he would not remind us of our sins, and he said he would not remember our sins himself. So if it's coming up, it isn't God. That's right. 
If we feel we're unworthy because of X, Y, Z, we just have to do away with the X, Y, Z, and then there's no reason for us to allow ourselves to be beat into believing we're unworthy for whatever God has offered. God wants to heal your house. He wants to heal your soul. He wants to restore what has been torn and destroyed. He wants to put back together things that you and others and the devil have broken apart. Yeah, but Dennis, man, I've messed up so many times. I've just made the same mistake over and over. And I just keep, I try and then I fail and I try and I fail. Well, you know, it's encouraging to me. It really is encouraging to me in kind of a twisted way, I guess. But it's encouraging to me that Jesus has told us, told one of his disciples when he was asked, how many times do I have to forgive these people? And Jesus said, seven times 70 times, which is 490 if you're counting. I think the point was not the mathematics of that. I think the point was a lot more than what you had in mind. (laughs) But here's what's so encouraging about that. Not that in itself. That can be kind of a downer, (laughs) you know, in a loving way. But... um, The encouraging thing is that if he has laid that on us, then you know he exceeds that. And so if I'm going to forgive you 490 times, and some of you are right up to the limit, (laughs) you know God's going to exceed that. It's not about the numbers is the thing. It's about the relationship. God's not keeping score. Glory to God. So a revelation not only about God, but also about yourself, who you are now that you're in Christ, that he has declared you to be the righteousness of God in Christ, that God is not holding and imputing sin. You know I believe that in a lot of ways we have, and I say we in a very general sense in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God, I think we have not really portrayed the gospel the way it's designed. Let me show you something here that, oh yeah, we'll just put it up here. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read down to this. From verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Is this the New King James Bible, by the way? Perfect. Not necessarily perfect, but perfect for my purposes. (laughs) There would be all kinds of controversy over if this was the perfect translation. That's all I mean by that. I did have a conversation with one fellow just a while back. He asked me what Bible I used. And it was in an awkward situation. What kind of Bible, what kind of Bible do you use? He said, and then he followed it up with, you do use the King James Bible, don't you? And I said, well, I use the new King James Bible. Yes, I do. The, <laughs> it was just one of those moments. 
And he went on to help me understand that every other translation, you understand these other translations, they're right out of the pit of hell. You know that, don't you? <laughs> no, if it's not the King James Bible, it's not the Bible. That's what, he went on to clarify that for me, which, of course, I don't believe. But, and you don't care. So <laughs> here it is, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, watch this. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Watch this. Here's the gospel. This is the good news. Not imputing their trespasses to them. To who? To everybody in the whole world. Right. You mean, Dennis, you mean non-church people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mean, you mean Hindus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Muslims and Shintoists and Rastafarians and Baptists and Catholics? <laughs> Not imputing their, context being world, not imputing their trespasses to them. That's the gospel. The message is that God's not holding sin against anybody, not anybody on earth. Oh, now I know where that has been taken by some in a very twisted and wrong way. Well, if God's not holding sin against anybody, then Dennis... Everybody is saved. And this is how they get there. God's not holding sin against them. So everybody's saved. Well, that's nonsense. Because every person has the choice and has to make the choice that Jesus would not only be Lord of all, but that he would be Lord of their life. And it's not until a person has made that kind of choice for Jesus to be Lord of their life that what God has done for everyone now becomes personal for them. And it doesn't happen until then. But now you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be crystal clear about this, not only for yourself, but for others also. God's not holding sin against people. But people hold their sin. And until they find the biblical way, and this is the biblical way, receiving the Lord, to release sin away from them, then they retain their sin. And as long as they retain their sin, they've got trouble. Right here in River City. They retain their sin. I did a study sometime back. I'm sure I've talked about it here before, but it, you weren't here. And uh, because it was before your pastor was born. No. <laughs> I know you didn't think I'd enjoy this that much, did you? I know, but yeah, anyway. But it's the way it is. I did a study sometime back. It wasn't quite that long ago, actually. But I went through the book of Romans, just the book of Romans, to study sin. I wanted to study sin. Guys like my, me do that. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't, I don't expect you to. 
But I wanted to study sin. Of course, it wasn't a how-to study. I was fairly clear on that. Uh, but it was a study of how many times in the book of Romans alone, how many times is the word sin a noun? And how many times is it a verb? And I found that 47 times, the vast majority of times, that the word sin is used in the book of Romans, it is a noun. Now, of course, class, what is a noun? Person, place, or thing. Front row gets an A. 47 times when the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans is referring to sin, he's referring to the place of sin. It's the place where every person finds himself. It's the prison in which every person dwells. It is the cage that there is no escape from. It is the cage that holds every human being. They are in the place of sin. And the Apostle Paul is referring to the place of sin the vast majority of time going through the book of Romans, which is one of the greatest single theses on understanding the new covenant. Now, the reason that's important is because there is a cage of sin that every person finds himself in, and yet the cage of sin that has no escape does, though, have a door that is unlocked. Now, you know where that goes, of course. It is the door is Jesus. Jesus is the door. Anyone, regardless of religious background, regardless of upbringing, regardless of failings and sins and violations and crimes, and regardless of whatever has happened in their life, every person, any person, can swing the door open and step out of the cage and the place of sin. Any person. Shintoists do it. Rasafarians do it. Demonized voodoo witch doctors do it. They step out of sin and through the door, and once they're out of the cage of sin, they are instantaneously in Christ because Jesus is the door. They receive Jesus, and they're out of the cage. When they're out of the cage, they're in Christ. How many of you are out? Say it out loud, I'm out. I'm out. I love this part. When you're out of the cage, where are you? In you're in Christ. Say it, I'm in. I'm in. You're out? I'm out. Say it, I'm out. I'm out. So I'm in. So I'm in. I could do that all night. I'm out. I'm out of the cage. When I'm out of the cage, I'm in Christ. All right, I'm preaching now. Uh, when I'm out of the cage, I'm in Christ. But you can just join in any time. That's fine. This is, this is a group thing. It takes a village. And uh, when you step out of the cage of sin by receiving Jesus, you come out of that cage and you are in a new place. You're not in the place of sin any longer. You're in the place of Christ, the place of liberty, the place of freedom, the place of the anointing, the place where you belong, the place where God's on your side and where he can show himself and reveal himself in the greatest ways because you're in Christ. But you have to come out of the cage for that to become real for you. He doesn't hold sin against anybody. The door is unlocked for every person. But not every person will step through the door. So they remain in the place even though Jesus paid the price for them to step out. 
But in the same study, I found that's just seven times in the book of Romans that the word sin is a verb. Now, class, uh, then what is a verb? It's an action. The revelation is moving past the front row. It's a behavior. It's an action. It's something that we do. Now, here's what you find about everybody that has come out of the cage, everybody that is out of sin in Christ. They're out of the place of sin, and they're in the place of Christ, so they're out of the noun, but they still have a few verbs in their life. A few behaviors, a few things that don't, they just don't look just like Jesus. Would Jesus do that? What would Jesus do? I don't know, but he wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Whatever that was. Now, some people have retained more verbs than others. And we realize this. And this isn't to say, now follow me all the way through on this. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying. This doesn't mean that God is okay with all the verbs that you've continued to maintain. God wants to work in our life to liberate us from the kind of things that are holding us back. And sin will hold you back. But what a behavior that isn't just like Jesus will do, while it will hold you from receiving as you could, what it will not do is throw you back in the cage. And we've got people that are living like they're still separated from God. They've literally on purpose walked back into the cage, held the door shut because their behaviors they don't feel are lining up and they are discouraged and beat up and the devil condemns them. And so they live in a cage that they've already been delivered from. So we're out of the cage. Say it, I'm out. How many of you are out? Glory to God. I'm out too. But every believer you know, every Christian you've ever met, every even superstar, and there are some, superstar Christians, we love them. God bless them. They just do things that just are so cool. Every one of them have a few verbs. There isn't anybody but Jesus that has lived perfect. Now, maybe you happen to know the second most perfect. You're not it, by the way. <laughs> but the point is that every person has some behaviors that are not really lining up. And it's not God's interest to say that that's all right. He's not winking at that. He's working in your life to help you come out of all that also. But the point is that while God's working, he has not disqualified you. Every person who's ever prayed and had a miracle happen had some verbs in their life. Every person that has witnessed to somebody and got them born again, they had some verbs in their life. Now, my point is not to say that's okay for them to just stay as screwed up as they've been. My point, however, is to say that the moment you step out of the cage of sin, you qualify to receive and to walk and to work with God on the highest level. Amen. Now, we grow into that in the way we think, and it takes 
revelation of God and of who we are for us to step up into these things that we immediately qualified for. And that's why it's vital that we keep pressing, keep growing, keep digging, keep allowing the Holy Spirit to speak, keep hearing and tuning in and learning how to cut the clutter so that we can hear more clearly. God's always speaking. Some people, they'll tell you, and, and, and I get it, I've, I've felt the same way, but they say, you know, uh, God's not talking to me. Then it's, I, I'm, I, God just, you know, I mean, you guys, guys like you, guys like Pastor Jonathan, Tia, Sister Brownie, people like you guys, you talk about how God talks to you, you know, God doesn't talk to me like that. Well, I don't know that that's really true. As a matter of fact, let me just say it the way I know it. I know you're wrong. You know, people often don't hear what's being said, but it doesn't mean it's not being said. As a husband, that's all I'm going to say about that. Are you listening to me, Dennis? I don't, you, you don't listen to me. I heard every word. <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. Don't bring that up again. <laughs> but we get in times like this, we get in times of worship, and what happens? Oftentimes we have successfully cut a lot of the clutter out, a lot of the distractions. We've set aside some time. We have, we have narrowed our focus. We have brought our thoughts to center around certain things and not let everything else enter in. And what happens so many times? We hear things. We get a light, an insight. Oh, man, Dennis, it just went off in me. I just, I just, wow. The reality is God doesn't just talk at church. He doesn't just talk to us during these times but we dial in in a much better way. So there'll be things you'll hear from the Holy Spirit. Some of them might be corrective. Not things necessarily that I'm saying to you or the pastor's saying or some speaker is saying, but the Holy Spirit will speak some things that'll be corrective or some things that'll be instructive or some things that will be about the days ahead or a direction you could take or a direction you need to avoid. And when these kind of times are happening and you're, you're tuning in and dialing in, you want to pay particular attention and not dismiss it. How many of you ever woke up in the, in the night and you had a thought and something just was so clear as you woke up? Oh, you just saw something so very clear. And it was so crystal clear you were certain that you could just drop back to sleep, but you will remember it in the morning. <laughs> How many of you have ever actually remembered it in the morning? It doesn't happen all that often. I recommend you just go ahead and write it down. Find out how to capture it. Oftentimes, the Spirit of God will speak to us in the night, 
and we'll have ideas. Now, I realize sometimes it's just that meal you ate, but there are times that God will say things to you and you need to capture them. I sat in a service one time. Vic and I have been attending a big convention up in San Francisco, California. We'd just been saved uh, maybe about a year. We grew up in California. And uh, during that first year, I mean, a lot of things were happening in our life. We'd come out of the drug scene, gotten saved. Uh, I met Vicky, and let me ponder that thought for a moment. But that was good. Uh, and, uh, and we were going and growing and just pursuing the things of God and we had gotten connected with in hearing and listening to a number of speakers, and one of the speakers is a lot of you know some of my testimony. It was Kenneth Copeland's ministry that just had a gigantic impact on us. And uh, man, we knew we wanted to hear this man of God. There were others. We went to a church. The pastor was phenomenal. But we were growing in so many things, wanted to listen to the tapes, and there were tapes in those days. Some of you remember. How many remember tapes? You know, there was a day when they used plastic strips and they put little gravel on it and it was, big. anyway. It was very primitive. Well, we'd listen to tapes and we'd go, well, I mean, if we just couldn't get enough. We just wanted everything we could have. Well, this convention came up, Full Gospel Businessmen's Convention. Now, I wasn't a businessman, but I didn't care. I'm showing up. And we had heard about it, and we'd been in, a friend of ours had gone to one the year before, and we went up to San Francisco, Vic and I did. And we went with another couple, Jeff and Cindy. You'll need to remember this for later reference. <laughs> and we go up to this convention. We're just basically just ex-druggy, dope fiend stoners. Well, except Cindy. She was goody two-shoes. But we were all stoners, and and uh, now saved, but, you know, still a little rough around the edges, but hungry for God, man. We want, we want in. And we're going to this convention, and Brother Copeland, I call him Brother Copeland now. At the time, I couldn't ever do that. Brother just, it just seemed so corny to me. Everybody was brother or sister, but now it's quite useful, particularly when you don't remember someone's name, you know. <laughs> Uh, that works out. So, hey, brother, it's so good to see you, man. I've been missing you, thinking about you a lot, whoever you are. And uh, hey, come on, you look so innocent right now. <laughs> we got up to this convention, and uh, Kenneth Copeland was speaking in all the youth services. Each, Not all of them, but each day he spoke in the youth services. They gave him one adult service. But we were going into all the services. Anywhere that Kenneth went, we'd find our way in and and uh, rustle up a seat. And it was about probably Wednesday, maybe it was Thursday, I think it might have been Thursday, of that week, and Kenneth was teaching, and we're sitting back a little ways, and he's going on about, oh, man. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's going on, and suddenly, I had a thought blow through my head. Now, look, I'd had a lot of thoughts blow through my head. Uh, some of them came with pictures and, and creatures. You couldn't always trust what this was. But in this case, there was a difference. And while Kenneth was speaking, it just, got, it just came to me as 
well, what we would now call like a download. Something just downloaded into me. Now I know it's revelation. It was a real word of wisdom. And I turned to Vicki. She was sitting next to me, and I said, Vicki, I'm going to work with this man. I didn't know what that would, could possibly look like. I lived in California. I'm like 18 years old. I know nothing. I'm rock and roll. This man is country. <laughs> country and cool? Is that what we said? I like that. Country and cool. I didn't know those went together. But I guess but I guess they do. For an old rocker that is so narrow from California, you don't think anything exists other than what you do. But uh, it just got on, it just, it was on me. And it was now, now it was in me. And in that instant, something changed on the inside of me. God had added something into me by a word, just a simple knowledge of wisdom of what my future would look like, even though I didn't have any idea what the details would be. I turned to Vicky. She didn't know how to respond. She said, oh. <laughs> well, it didn't hit her like it had me. I didn't know how that would ever happen. That was in 1972. By 1976, we were living in Texas by year end on staff with Kenneth Copeland's ministry where we met Brownie. Glory to God. I could have heard that and dismissed it very quickly. What? I'm not going to Texas. I'm California. I'm surf. I'm rock and roll. There's no surf in Texas. Well, there's, I mean, you talk to some in Texas. Now, I'm not in Texas. You talk to some, they think there is. It's, it's weird. <laughs> Deception is everywhere. But uh, you can dismiss things very quickly. You can miss what God says. We've got people that are hearing from God all the time, things that God wants to bring into their life. Things that God wants to see shifted and changed. Things that God wants you to modify in the way you approach things. Things that he wants you to shut your mouth about. (laughs) I I get increasingly harsh as the (laughs) night goes on. And we can either dismiss these things or we can receive them by faith, whether we understand what it'll look like or how we'll do it or not. Revelation knowledge of Christ is a revelation also of what the anointing of God is capable of doing in you. This is how the church is built. I believe tonight that God wants to impart something in us that will build us. 
I believe it's all about building the church. I believe that in every meeting I have, every church I go into, I don't say it like this because tonight I'm dealing with it, but I believe that it's all about an impartation that will build the body, that will build the church. It's not about, now, now let me be sure I say this properly. It's not about the local church. It's about the body, mm-hmm. wherever they are. And while in a local setting right now, it's about building you, which will build this ministry. But if you were part of another church, it would build that one also because you're here being built up. And it takes revelation knowledge for us to be built up and to follow the plan. It's not just having a good idea. You know this. There's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. And you want to know that it's not just a good idea or somebody else has had this idea. I think I'll try it. It is now a God idea for you. I came to find out that there were a lot of fellas, guys that I knew that felt they were just supposed to go to Texas and work for Kenneth Copeland also. I didn't say it to anybody but Vicky. Come to find out there were others. They felt the same thing. They wanted that. They'd like to do it. It'd be a good idea. Well, I don't know if it's a God idea for them, but they missed it if it was. But it wasn't just a good idea for me. It was a God idea. It changed everything about my life. That I followed that one idea that I got as a one-year-old believer that said I would work with that ministry. And it took me in a direction. And the only reason I'm saying that is not because I think you are supposed to go work for Kenneth Copeland's ministry in Texas. That's really not the point, or even in B.C. But uh, the point is that there are things that will be pivotal and important for where you are today and where God wants to take you that can come and will come like revelation to you. And oftentimes it just comes as an idea that blew through your head. Not just a good idea, and don't get me wrong, a lot of times good ideas blow through our head also. But it's not just getting a good idea, it is also knowing that it is a God-anointed idea. That's what will bear fruit. I've tried a few good ideas, they didn't really turn out all that good. So apparently the good idea was actually not a good idea. I say that and I feel like I may be among others who have had the same experience, or at least some but nobody cares to admit it, (laughs) which is fine. I'm a secure guy. I want revelation to come to you. Revelation of who God is, that he's a good God. We're in a place right now to understand that in a bigger way. We all get it. We're here on Friday night. But I want us to grab hold of this in a deeper and in a greater way. And I believe the Holy Spirit will breathe something fresh into you for that to happen right now but not only about him, but also a revelation about you, who you are, but not only who you are, but where God wants you to step and where he wants you to go now. I believe the Holy Spirit has something happening in these days that is going to be remarkable in the body of Christ, and it's going to be unlike any other time in history. 
It'll be a revelation not only of God, but it'll be a revelation of God using men and women and using us in a variety of places. Now, let me try to come in for a landing with this. In fact, it'll build off of this statement that Jesus makes. Let's go back to the scripture in uh, Matthew, where Jesus was still speaking to Peter and the other disciples. And he said, on this rock, I will build my what? My Did you notice he didn't say temple? He didn't say synagogue. He used a very secular word. This is the first time that the word church is actually found in Scripture. And it came out of the mouth of Jesus to refer to what he was about to do. He wasn't about to build a refined synagogue or a different kind of temple. He was about to build a church. People that were set aside and set apart people that in other places would be called chosen, people that had an assignment. That word chosen really is a military word or can be used as a military word to describe a separated special ops type of people. God said, Jesus said on this revelation, I will build my set-apart specialized believers who will have special assignments. That's not just for a handful of people. I believe that's for every single believer who carries the ministry of reconciliation. God will give you a special assignment to bring influence, bring your influence into unique places because you have a capacity to touch what others can't. Then he goes on to say this. He said, And the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. Against what? Against the church. Come on, be brave. This is all right. We're among friends. Against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail. The gates. Think about the gates of a city. In ancient days, the cities were built with just very few gates to get in or out of. Four was common, four gates, north, south, east, west, that was it. When you came into the city, you came in one of these ways. Really, a lot of cities are built that way now. But in those days, it was a real gate that could be closed down, and they could control what comes in and what comes out. The gates of a city. This was a common metaphor that Jesus is using to help people get a picture. That there are gates of influence. Now, follow this. Gates of influence into certainly a person's life, your individual life. There's gates of influence that will impact a community, this city, this community. There are gates of influence that impact this nation. And there are certain gates that are common to every nation and every city, really. Gates of influence. Family is one of those major gates. As goes the family, so goes the nation. When the family breaks down, the nation's breaking down at the same time. As goes the church and faith, so goes the nation. Faith is one of the gateways of influence into a nation or into a community, whether the community believes in it or not. The body of Christ carries this kind of power. But now watch this. The media also is a gateway of influence. Entertainment is a gateway of influence. The arts 
are a gateway of influence that have huge influence in societies. That doesn't mean you appreciate art, but it has influence in a society. It takes it in a direction. Business touches every other part or every other gate, but it is a gateway of not only finance, but of values. Satan has done everything possible to set up his gates of influence in each of these major arenas and gateways of influence in every nation. And it has been effective because the body of Christ has failed to take hold of those gates with their faith, with their prayer, and even with their presence. Our influence is really not intended to only be felt because we attend church. It's not because we are churchgoers. It's because we are out of church being the church that God has designed for you to carry power and influence. Sometimes it's by being there. Sometimes it's by praying it into place. But God has given us the right to pray and have an influence in our nation, in our communities, as well as in our households and in our own life. You know there's gateways into your own life. Your priorities of finance or business, that's a gateway. The way you prioritize entertainment and faith and family, all of these become gateways. And if Satan has his way in your house, he'll set up his influence to govern each of those gateways. And that's why you and me as believers, we've been given authority. It's the very next thing Jesus talked about in verse 19. Let's look at it. And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When you hear some Christians, and I don't mean to sound cynical, I'm not cynical about this, but I've been around this a while, and I do understand oftentimes you listen to some people, and it just helps you, you just understand what's inside of them just by things they say or even pray. And what comes out of so many people is the same kind of whining, complaining nonsense that comes out of the unbeliever when it comes to life or trends or direction or the way things are going in this nation or in the, everything's going down the drain. And, and instead of raising up a, a gateway of influence by faith, a lot of the church has just fallen right into the gateway that Satan has set up to bring influence and crush a nation and kill the faith that's in that nation. And I believe God's calling us or reminding us to stir up the authority of who we are so that we are the gatekeepers. That instead of turning it all over the devil, you know, that's what they did when television, you know, television came online when I was born, 1954. So you don't get lost in the math, I'm 63. <laughs> when I, my whole life has had television in it. But the church, early on, as television started to filter into society, the church deemed it as the one-eyed devil. Don't let that one-eyed devil in your house. And just released all of it to serve the devil until in the 60s, finally, a few ministers 
realized they could use the television for the gospel and the kingdom of God, but they'd have to pay all of these worldly people just to have 30 minutes on it. And they've had to claw their way. The church has had to claw its way back into having the ability to use the airwaves and now, thankfully, other things. But the same thing as uh, Satan tried to do the same thing with the Internet, with the very next things that come, satellite innovations and things that are happening communication-wise. If, if we fall into the same trap, we let it go to serve things that we don't believe in. Instead, here's what you and me can do. And I realize this, we sit here sometimes and say, well, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Because you and me have the ability as believers to get outside of ourselves from time to time. And instead of everything that we learn only applying to me, my house, my kids, us four, no more, X24. Instead of that, we can also be used by God outside of our own self and we can pray for our land, for our leaders, for our Christian leaders, for what's happening in policies. We can use our faith to start believing God for the influence of the kingdom of God to influence these people where they are having to make righteous decisions whether they believe in them or not. I believe God wants you and me to rise up in faith as gatekeepers, not only in our own life, but also as salt in society, where we have a sphere of influence because we're here, because we show up and we haven't handed it all over to the kingdom of darkness. What this starts to do is it pulls us out of ourselves, and God starts to tag you as somebody that he can use to pray about particular things. And many times he'll give you details to pray about that you didn't know anything about. I'll share an example with you that happened in Vicky's life. This was a couple of years ago now. I may have shared it here once before, but it fits right now. She was on our front porch. We just live in a regular neighborhood, but she was on the front porch, a little couple of chairs there, a nice little setting where she was praying, having her morning coffee. We're, we're strong believers in coffee. And I'm a strong believer in strong coffee. <laughs> she was having her coffee. I was out of town somewhere. She was praying, having Bible study, doing whatever she was doing. And suddenly she just had a sense of praying for a particular young man. We, we know the family. We know the mom and dad. They pastor a church out in the east. And uh, we knew that one of their boys, they had several, one of their boys was in, I believe it was Afghanistan, but it was in a hot zone that at that time was very volatile, and he was there in the military. And uh, it, just, it just came on Vicky to just pray for him, just mention him in prayer. Lord, just surround him, protect him. It, was, it doesn't take long to mention somebody in prayer. Paul mentioned people in prayer. It seemed to be powerful from him. And uh, so Vicky had mentioned this young man in prayer, prayed for him, and, and went on with what she was doing. Well... She got information from this mom that her boy was not only in Afghanistan, but how just yesterday, they really didn't hear from him very often because he was in such dangerous zones. Not only could he not get information out, but when he did, he didn't want to tell them 
really what was going on with him, have him over here worrying. But uh, he had had some, something happen, and he called home. And he described to his parents that he and his, his uh, small troop was coming into, well, it wasn't a troop. They were, this was just one vehicle <clears throat> and a fairly large Jeep, but they were coming into this city, and it was a very dangerous hot zone in this city, and they were going in as an occupying force, but they came, they knew it was dangerous. And he said, as we were pulling, just driving in to the city, he said, I just had this, this thought come over me. I needed to take this extra panel of, of protection that could be slid into the door as added armor, and I'm just going to add that added armor to this door that he was seated right next to. Just as he slid that in place, their vehicle was T-boned by a hostile, and this was a suicide bomber that blew himself up the moment of impact. It should have killed everybody in this soldier's Jeep. Not one soldier was injured. The only person that was injured was the suicide bomber who no doubt went to hell right then. I realize that's judgmental and I meant it to be. Man, God delivered him and didn't just deliver him. And he was sitting right where that vehicle, I mean, he looks out the window and there's this vehicle that then explodes. He wasn't injured. Everyone in the Jeep was spared. It wasn't just him that got delivered. It was that he was part of the Christ, the body of Christ that carried an anointing. And that somebody on the other side of the planet, maybe, maybe more than one, but I know of one, my wife, was praying, laying hold on his protection right then. And man, when they put a conversation together and realized what time Vicky was on the porch praying in the morning and what time in the afternoon this attack took place, it was moments apart. Yeah. Glory to God. Yeah. You can be used by God globally, yes. right from your living room yes. with the revelation and the anointing of God that's on the inside of you. And this takes us outside of ourselves and it puts us right into the middle of being the gatekeepers on this planet. And it may just be one person at a time that we influence, dear Lord. If your life impacts positively and maybe even spares one person in your entire life, you are a success. Glory to God.